All right, we are continuing our study of 2 Timothy here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And in the preceding paragraph, to keep it in context, Paul called Timothy to be strong in the grace that's in Jesus. And specifically, he wanted him to intentionally pass on the faith and to suffer hardship in his service to Christ. In fact, Paul reminded Timothy of his own example, how Paul himself suffers with the specific aim of leading people into salvation and into glory. And he ended that section with a little poetic reminder of the gospel and the importance of continued faithfulness to it. He reminded Timothy and us that uh, by faithfulness and endurance will, will lead to reigning with Jesus, but denying Jesus will lead to being denied by Jesus. So what Paul now does here in verse 14 and following is he urges Timothy to remind the church there in Ephesus, the church that Timothy is serving, of the very things that Paul just told Timothy. In other words, even though it's addressed to Timothy, these things matter to the church as well. And so he's telling Timothy these things, but he also wants Timothy to pass these things on to the church at large. And so Paul says in verse 14, remind them of these things. In fact, these things is actually the first word in the Greek sentence, which emphasizes it. And it refers back to what Paul just said about the gospel and how crucial ongoing faithfulness to the gospel is. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, remind them, remind uh, the people in your care, remind the church there in Ephesus of these sorts of things. In fact, it's it's present tense, so it's continual. Keep on reminding them of this. And Paul continues in verse 14 and says, And solemnly exhort them in the presence of God, not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the listeners. And so he wants them to exhort, that is, urge them, call them to action, and specifically, not to get caught up in the word wars of the false teachers. Notice what he says is, exhort them not to dispute about words. It's literally word wars. That's the two words you have there in Greek. Don't get caught up in these wars about words of the false teachers that have been stirring up trouble there in Ephesus. And Timothy is to exhort them to this, notice, in the presence of God, literally before God which speaks of the importance of this and the sacredness of this task. So, Timothy, I'm urging you to do this before the face of God because it's so important. And why does this matter so much? Well, look at the end of verse 14 where he says what will happen, right? Like, what happens from these word wars is, well, if people get caught up in those things, it's useless. That is, it leads to nothing useful. That's literally what he says. And not only that, it also leads to the ruin of the listeners. And that word translated ruin here is the word from which we get our English word catastrophe. That is the arguments and the debates about words that the false teachers are drawing people into. They're a catastrophe for the people listening in on it and overhearing it. And so Paul's instruction is stay out of it. Don't engage. Don't get involved in that. Next, Paul calls Timothy to work hard at this and to work hard at continuing to teach the truth. He says this in verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself. The yourself is singular. It refers to Timothy. So be diligent to present yourself 
approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Notice he tells him to be diligent at this. That is, work hard at it. Uh, Put energy into it. Make every effort to do this. Give yourself, in other words, to this task. Now, the old King James translation said study, and that is actually an incorrect translation, and it's miscommunicated what Paul is actually saying here. It's created this picture of people sitting around in a, you know, a desk with books, and they're studying and all that. That's not actually what Paul is talking about or what Paul is saying. In context, Paul is talking about working hard at teaching the truth, and he's talking about working hard at avoiding and being distracted by foolish debates and the word wars that the false teachers are trying to get him to engage in. So be diligent at that sort of thing. Work hard at that. Specifically, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. And that word approved means tested and found genuine. Like you're the real deal, right? That's the kind of idea of it, that he's the real deal. Um, And so work hard at being genuine through and through, tested and found legit. Uh, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker. Notice that we're talking about being diligent to work hard at this, who doesn't need to be ashamed. You're not a lazy worker. You're not an incompetent worker. You're not a half-hearted worker. No, you don't need to be ashamed because you're a diligent worker who's um, offering yourself in service to God in a way that says, okay, you're doing a good job at that. You're doing the job well and you're doing the job rightly. And specifically, he wants Timothy to focus on accurately handling the word of truth. Literally, cutting straight. It's the idea of shooting straight with the truth. In other words, presenting the message and about Jesus and about Jesus' way in a correct, truthful sort of way. And let me just draw attention to two specific words because they'll be important for what follows. Those are the two words right at the end of verse 15. They're the words word and truth. Paul's going to use those words in what follows, and so it'll connect us back to what Timothy's supposed to focus on, accurately handling the word of truth. And so Paul tells Timothy in verse 16, avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Worldly here literally is profane, just common, useless, uh, profane chatter, and then empty chatter is just empty words, like Words that have no value, have no substance, have no fruit. Avoid that. Why? Because it'll lead to further ungodliness. If you engage in that, it's just, it's just useless. It's not going to help. It's going to uh, lead to further ungodliness. And then, and their talk will spread like gangrene. There is referring to the people who are stirring up trouble, people who are trying to get people to engage in these debates. It's vague and generic. Uh, Timothy obviously knew who they were. We don't know exactly who these people are, although Paul is going to name a couple very shortly. But what he says is their talk, literally their word. It's the same word that was translated word in the phrase word of truth in verse 15. Their word Um, is going to spread like gangrene. So Timothy must focus on presenting the word of truth, not getting drawn into their word, because their word will spread, literally eat. It's going to eat away at things like gangrene does. And then Paul actually names two of these people, two of those who are whose word is like this. 
Um, their names are, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, we know nothing about Philetus, but Hymenaeus was mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and there Paul says that he's someone that Paul himself has determined to hand over to Satan, hopefully that he'll learn the truth. Uh, and you can listen to the recording on 1 Timothy 1 in the listener's commentary to get more details on what it means to be handed over to Satan, but Hymenaeus has been stirring up pro uh, problems in the church for quite some time. Paul has determined to practice some church discipline on him and banish him from uh, the church community and the church life, basically casting him out to the realm where Satan rules and the prince of the power of the air uh, leads the day. And so that's what we know about Hymenaeus. Paul further describes Hymenaeus and Philetus in verse 18 by saying, men who have gone astray from the truth, which suggests that uh, at some point, maybe they knew the truth. At some point, they were part of the church. Now they've gone astray from that. And so men who have gone astray from the truth, and here's specifically one of the problems that they're teaching, claiming that the resurrection has already taken place and they're jeopardizing the faith of some. And so people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, perhaps others that are stirring up the problem, um, they're getting into these debates and, their, and wars. And one of the things they're trying to say is that the resurrection has already happened. Somehow this idea, this over-realized eschatology, uh, that everything's already been accomplished, resurrection is here, this is the best it's going to get. And they're jeopardizing the faith of some people. Nevertheless, verse 19, the firm foundation of God stands. And so Paul now paints this picture of, even though you have people doing this, and even though they're jeopardizing the faith of some, there's a firm foundation on which God's household is built. And it's firm, it's secure, it stands, and it has this seal. The idea of a seal there in verse 19 is an inscription, like on one of the key foundation stones that marks out uh, who owns this household, whose household this is. And so the firm foundation of God stands having this household, and this inscription, this seal, has really two lines to it. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. Now, both those lines allude to or maybe have echoes of uh, certain passages or phrases from the Old Testament, but they make a very clear point. Even though some people's faith is being jeopardized, even though people like Hymenaeus and Philetus have left the truth, the Lord knows actually who his people are. He's He's not baffled. He's not surprised. He's not confused. He's not scratching his head like, what happened? The Lord knows who his people are. And so uh, people's security in Christ doesn't depend on their knowledge of God. It really depends on God's knowledge of them. And he knows who his people are. And then there's the, the second part of that. Those that belong to the Lord, those that are part of the Lord's family, they have a responsibility to live a certain way. And so Everyone who names the name of the Lord, that is who calls on the name of Jesus and says, I'm a Christian, right? Who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. Uh, they have to turn away from the false ideas of people like Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have to turn away from the corruption of false teaching and worldly ideas. They have to keep away from wickedness. Now, in order to illustrate and emphasize that point, that all who name the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness, Paul goes on in verses 20 and 21 to offer an analogy. 
It's not a perfect analogy, but Paul makes the point of the analogy very clear in verse 21. And so this is what he says. Verse 20 states the details of the imagery. And so he says this. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver implements, but also implements of wood and earthenware. Some are for honor, while others are for dishonor. The word translated implements literally is just vessels. In other words, we're talking about pots and pans, cups and pitchers and bowls and all that sorts of stuff. And he, he draws out this point that there are honorable ones and there are dishonorable ones. Now, what he means in everyday languages, there are some that are for fancy special occasions and there are some that are just for ordinary daily use and they're made out of wood and earthenware. And then you have the super fancy ones for special occasions. Paul then goes on in verse 21 to make the point of the analogy. And so verse 21 is really important. Don't get lost in the details of verse 20 without reading verse 21 because you might come up with the wrong point. Paul's not making the point of this analogy that in the church, there's all different kinds of people. There's ordinary people. There's, you know, honorable and gold and silver people, right? That's not the point he's making. He's not making the point that we have all different kinds of people in the church. Like maybe he makes about the body imagery in 1 Corinthians 12 or uh, other things, right? That's not the point. Verse 21 tells us a very cl clear point. He says this, therefore, drawing out the conclusion from the illustration, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be an implement, that is vessel, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. In other words, the point Paul draws out is uh, that there are honorable vessels, and that's the kind of vessel we want to be. We want to be a vessel for honor, a vessel cleaned and ready for the Lord's work. That is sanctified, set apart for the master to use. That's the kind of vessel we're, we're focused on. And so the point isn't that there's all different kinds of vessels in the Lord's household. The point is we ought to aim to be honorable vessels. And in order to do that, you have to uh, cleanse yourself, he says, from these things. What does he mean by these things? Well, sometimes the phrase these things looks backwards. Sometimes these things looks forward. Actually here, it seems to do a little bit of both. It looks a little bit backwards at the empty words of the false teachers and the destruction that's causing, at the wickedness that we have to turn away from. It looks at that, but it also looks forward because in the verses to come, Paul's actually going to specify for Timothy and by extension, all faithful servants of Jesus, some of the things they need to cleanse themselves from. And so that's the point. Um, Paul wants Timothy, wants Timothy and the people in Ephesus, and wants Timothy and us to be vessels for the king's use. That is to be an honorable vessel. And so Paul tells Timothy in verse 22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. These are some of the things that in order to be an honorable vessel, Timothy will need to cleanse himself from, and all faithful servants of Jesus will also need to cleanse themselves from. So he says, flee, flee from useful lusts. That is, don't mess around with, 
Don't dabble in. He doesn't even say resist. He says flee. That is, put distance between yourself and those youthful lusts. And what does he mean by youthful lusts? Well, the word lust literally is just desires. We typically associate the word lust exclusively with sexual desire, but it's a broad general word that refers to all kinds of desire. Sometimes, in fact, it can have a positive meaning or a neutral meaning. But most often in Paul and the rest of the New Testament, the meaning of epithemia, the word for desire, is negative. For example, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, right? Like these kind of fleshly desires um, war against the desires of God's kingdom and God's spirit. We have to watch out for those kinds of sinful desires. And Paul associates such desires with young people for some reason here. He says youthful lusts. I don't know that he exclusively means it to be youthful things. He may be saying that because Timothy is viewed as a young man. And so he's saying, you got to put those things behind you, Timothy. you got to run from those sorts of things. Uh, sensual desires, headstrong desires, uh, passions for new and novel things and new and novel ideas. These are the kinds of desires that the false teachers are appealing to. It's the kind of stuff that leads to needless quarrels, and Timothy needs to flee all of that. And not just flee that, he also needs to pursue some good qualities, some virtues, and that word pursue really speaks of energy and effort, right? Pouring your focus and your energies into pursuing something. It's never enough just to get rid of vice. We must always pursue virtue. And the practical reality is that pursuing a good is always more powerful than merely trying to eliminate a bad. And so Paul calls Timothy to pursue some good things, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Righteousness refers to, um, it's a relational term, being in right standing with the law, right standing with God, right standing with people and treating people right, doing right by people. Faith has to do with trust and confidence, particularly faith is trust and confidence in God, probably in this context. Love, where we we give of ourselves. It's a self giving commitment to the well-being of others and to peace, which is not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of wholeness and blessedness, shalom. And so pursue these things, Timothy, because these are the kinds of things that typify those who call on the Lord. But, verse 23 says, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. This is the third time that Paul has restated this in this paragraph. In other words, it's very important, and he wants Timothy to get the point. Just avoid these things. Refuse these things. They're foolish. They're ignorant. They lead to unnecessary fighting and quarreling and all of that. Don't just do it yourself, Timothy. Urge God's people not to get into word wars, right? Avoid profane and empty chatter. And now we get it here. Refuse these sorts of things. All it leads to is arguments. And verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. This is going to lead to quarrels and arguments. And as a servant of God, that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not what we do. That's not our way. Instead of being quarrelsome, Paul says in verse 24, but be kind to all. That is, be gracious and kind to everybody. Also, he says, be skillful in teaching. This is the word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for the elders who are able to teach. 
Be like that. Be able to communicate God's word. This is what the Lord's bondservant is supposed to be like. Kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wronged. Like, um, they don't get easily annoyed. They don't get easily frustrated. They don't get easily irritated and just lose their temper or pop off or say something uh, in retaliation. They're patient when wrong. Um, verse 25 continues the thought with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. We need to notice that. Even though Paul doesn't want Timothy to be drawn into the word wars, he still does need to correct and it's going to take some wisdom and discernment for Timothy to figure out the best way and the best time to do it. How are you going to do that? And he needs to do it with gentleness. And he needs to do it without being quarrelsome, but being kind and skillful and patient as he does it. And so there's still correction. There's still some rebuking that needs to happen, but it needs to be done in a very wise and gracious sort of way. And what's the hope and the aim in such correction? Well, look at the end of verse 25 and and. Verse 26, he says, if perhaps, like correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And so notice, Paul believes the people have agency. They have a responsibility. They have a choice, but they're also being led astray by the great enemy of God and his people, the devil himself, and he's, he's held them captive to do his will. And so Paul wants Timothy to do some correcting with the hope and the aim that somehow they may come to repentance by the grace of God. They may come to know the truth and escape the snare of the devil. And so this, this paragraph really calls Timothy and us to uh, be faithfully committed to working hard at the work that God has called us to as his people. And yes, there is some correction that will be needed, but we have to discern when's the time to do that and what's the best way to do that. And we have to make sure when we do that, we do it without being quarrelsome and argumentative. We have to be kind and gracious and patient as we do that. And so there are false ideas. There are things that are contrary to the truth. Sometimes they need to be addressed and called out, but we have to discern when to do that so that we don't get involved in needless arguments and needless word wars and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, we have to actually point out uh, error and draw people to the truth and do it in a gracious and kind and courageous and patient sort of way. That's really the call of Paul to Timothy here in this paragraph. And that's his call to all of us who would serve Jesus even today as well. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of tons of people, some who give $5, some who give $20, some who give $50, some who give more than that to make this ministry possible. So thanks a ton to all of you for your generous support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can swing over to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button, or you can sign up for the Study Hub. All monthly donors get access to the bonus materials inside the Study Hub. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it.